Sentire media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 15, A Confusing Christmas Coronation. Last time, we left Charlemagne settling in to the latest addition to his, by now, considerable empire. It was the southernmost bit, but didn't stretch all the way down to the south of the peninsula. Indeed, it stopped at the Papal States, in central Italy, with the south divided between the remnants of the Byzantine Empire, at least in name, and the powerful Lombard Dukes of Benevento. The Pope, when Charles had defeated the Lombards, had been Hadrian, who had kept up quite an intense correspondence with the King of the Franks, sometimes friendly, sometimes complaining, and at times even threatening. Despite this alternating relationship, when Hadrian died in 795, it is reported that Charles broke down and wept. How sweet. Anyway, it was time to elect a new pope. As was by now the norm, there was an intense struggle among different factions. After all, now the man who became pope not only had power over almost all of the Western Church, but also had power over a state. The man that won out took the name of Leo III. One wonders what sort of wheeling and dealing got him there, because he was immediately quite unpopular. The strongest opposition came from two men, nephews of the deceased Pope Hadrian, Pascale and Campolo, who publicly accused the new Pope of being an adulterer and an oath-breaker. The Pope didn't even bother to deny the accusations. He simply sent the keys to St. Peter's sepulchre and the standard of the city of Rome to Charlemagne. He definitely knew which side his bread was buttered on. The tension among the factions stayed in check for a full four years, bubbling under the surface. Then, on the 25th of April, 799, things boiled over. Leo was getting ready to lead a procession through the city when he was attacked by a group of men led by Pascale and Campolo. Now, as we have done in the past, we have different versions of the story according to which source you read. Let's start with the Liber Pontificalis, the book of the biographies of popes. In this version, the mob falls upon the defenceless pope. They cut out his tongue and gouge out his eyes and leave him beaten and bloody to die in the street like a dog. All the while, the people standing around, too scared to intervene, do nothing and flee. Towards evening, the aggressors come back to the scene of the crime and find to their great amazement that the man was still alive. They cut out another piece of his tongue, just to make sure, and carted him off to the monastery of St. Erasmus. As the mutilated man slept, St. Peter appeared to him in a dream and gave him back his eyes and tongue. He then woke up, and with the help of a monk, 
escaped out of the window with a rope, got back to St. Peter's, and then went on to seek refuge in Spoleto. From there, he headed all the way up to Paderborn in Saxony, where Charles had set up one of his roving courts. Now, the real version was probably pretty adventurous, although perhaps a little less tongue extraction and eye gouging, I would imagine. King Charles received the Pope with regard, but a little coldly. It seems that word had reached him of the accusations against the Pope. Leo spent a couple of months there, often speaking to Charles and presenting him with the relics of St. Stephen. Chatting him up and giving him presents, in short, Charles decided to set up a commission of inquiry to investigate the accusations against the Pope, and sent it back to Rome with him. The commission got to work as soon as they arrived. Meanwhile, Charles made preparations to head to Rome. The original idea was to leave in June, but the death of his wife, the fourth and last, delayed the departure. He ended up leaving in autumn and oversaw the results of the commission on Leo the Third, who was found innocent. His accusers, Pascale and Campolo, were confined to a monastery. Now that Leo was safely back on Saint Peter's throne, it was time to do something more official about Charlemagne and his imperial throne. On Christmas Day of the year eight hundred, Charlemagne crossed the streets of Rome, flanked by his nobles. On his way to Saint Peter's Basilica, he wore Roman clothes rather than Frankish ones, and huge crowds cheered his passing. It seemed that some of this crowd may have been brought in by the Pope to make a bit more of a scene. But what's wrong with a little choreography now and then? He got to Saint Peter's and entered the church, which was brightly lit by one thousand three hundred and seventy candles. Now I ask you. Did somebody actually sit there and count one thousand three hundred and seventy candles? And after they've done that, why did it matter enough for them to write it down? And the last question is, why does it matter enough for me to mention that fact? Who knows? Anyway, Charlemagne finally detached himself from the rest of his party and knelt before the high altar in prayer. At this point. Pope Leo, who was celebrating the mass, took out a golden crown and placed it on Charles's head. So, Charles was no longer Charles, King of the Franks and the Lombards, defeater of the Saxons and Avars. Now he was Charlemagne, the Holy Roman Emperor, although the term was not used until much later. Now the church sources make this whole coronation business out to be a great triumph. But non-religious sources have diverging opinions. They mention that Charles was a bit surprised and perhaps even annoyed by the coronation. It always struck me as quite funny the idea of Pope Leo as some sort of serial crowner, sticking crowns on people who he saw kneeling down. You can almost imagine people being afraid of kneeling down for fear of having a crown stuck on their head. Anyway, why wouldn't Charles have been happy about being an emperor? Well. Two reasons. First, there was another emperor around, the one in Constantinople, who saw himself as having authority over at least bits of the West. Plus, if you're an emperor, you like to think that you're the only one around. This meant that Charles would have to find a way 
to keep Byzantium happy. The other reason may not have been quite so prominent in the mind of the new emperor, but it would have much greater consequences for centuries to come. You see, the first Holy Roman Emperor had been crowned by a pope, and in the eyes of the Church, at least, this meant that the authority of the sovereign came from that of the pope, the representative of God on earth. Charlemagne, clever statesman that he was. Must have understood the importance of the gesture. Indeed, his personal biographer mentioned that had he known what was to happen, he would never have entered the basilica. However, perhaps he did not quite grasp the depth of the significance. His son, for example, Louis, when the time came, made sure to crown himself. And over a thousand years later, when Napoleon Bonaparte summoned a hesitant Pius the Seventh. For his coronation as emperor, he made very sure that the pope didn't even touch the crown, let alone put it on his head. In any case, for now, the damage was done. Well, I'm afraid I have to stop there for this week. I really apologise for the short episode. You see, luckily or unluckily, a lot of work has come in, and the thing about work is you've got to do it because it doesn't do itself. Plus, my wife and I have these two smaller people living in the house with us, and they will insist on eating every day up to three times. Would you believe? So I've been a bit busy, and will be a bit busy for the next couple of weeks. It seemed like I may not have been able to come out with an episode next week, but I found a way to cheat. You see, one of the jobs I'm going to be doing is translating a guide to the city of Bologna, and the first part of the guide. Is a short history of the city, so why not kill two birds with one stone and just read it out to you? So that's what's going on next week. A special episode on Bologna for the anniversary of the twenty-fifth of April. The twenty-fifth of April is a national holiday in Italy because we celebrate the liberation from Nazism and fascism. Indeed, the twenty-fifth of April, nineteen forty-five, was when most of the major cities of the North, remaining under fascist and Nazi control, were liberated by the advancing Allies and by the Partisans. Bologna is a particularly important city in this story because it was one of the many cities that received the gold medal for the resistance. So that's what we'll be talking about next week. Once again, special episode on Bologna and the twenty-fifth of April. Before we close, I'd really like to say a really big, big thanks to our first Patreon supporter. Yay! So thank you very, very much to Sean F. Really appreciate the generosity, Sean. Thanks. I'm now studying a plan to see if I can't get something back to the listeners beside the podcast, obviously, because Patreon has a sort of goal-setting system with little prizes and things that people can get for donating a certain amount. So I'll be looking into that. As always, thank you very, very much to all of you for listening. Please, if you have a bit of time, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. If you want to get in touch with questions, comments, philosophical doubts, or worries, you can send an email at hello at a history of Italy dot com. At the same URL, a history of Italy dot com, you can have a look at some of the resources that are up there, or click through to our YouTube channel or our social media, 
there is a plan to try and improve that website a little bit, and hopefully that will come to fruition in the next few months. Well, once again, thanks very much to everyone, and until next time, arrivederci. Tira Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com. That's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com and find out how to submit your show.